In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're continuing tonight in our Wilderness Wanderings uh, series here in the book of Numbers. And uh, this morning we finished up Numbers chapter number 14. And tonight we are going to dive into uh, chapter number 15. And just by way of introduction, I'd like to explain that this chapter is uh, a little bit different. The book of Numbers is, is a little bit of a different book in the sense that uh, there are some books in the Bible that are more of like an epistle style in the New Testament. They'd be called epistles where it's like writings and teaching. You definitely have that in the Old Testament. They're not called epistles, but you have like the, the law books um, or the instructional books like Leviticus uh, that are giving you a lot of the laws of God. But then you also have the narrative books like First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings that are giving you stories. The book of Numbers is a mixture of narrative and uh, writings of the law. And for example, we spent uh, several weeks going through chapters 13 and 14, which was a narrative of the spies going into the promised land. And we're going to get into another section of narratives in number 16 uh, and 17 when we talk about Korah and the rebellion of Korah against Moses. But in chapter 15, we have this kind of transitional chapter uh, where we go back into more of legal writings and uh, writings of the law. And this is a, a long chapter. It's 41 verses long. And the way we're going to go through this is I've divided the chapter into sections, and I'll give you headings for each one of these sections. And what we'll do is we'll do a general overview of each section, and then I'll give you an application for each one of the sections. And my goal is to get through the whole chapter tonight. That may not uh, happen, so we'll see how far we can get. But again, by way of introduction, I do want you to see just something interesting at the beginning of this chapter and who this chapter is really uh, spoken to or, or, or given to. In Numbers 15 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them. Now here's what I want you to notice. And I want you to notice this little phrase. He says, When ye be come into the land of your habitations, which I give unto you. Now if you've read, been reading the book of Numbers or if you've been with us through the book of Numbers study, then hopefully that kind of stands out to you as something peculiar because of the fact that we just spent the last two chapters talking about how God is upset with the children of Israel and now he's pretty much told them that they're not going to enter the land. He's told them that they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one day for every, uh, one year for every day that the spies searched out the land. He talks about the fact that their carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness and they're not going to enter into the land. But then chapter 15 begins with God saying uh, in verse 2, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when ye be come into the land. So what is this talking about? Well, go, go back to uh, Numbers uh, 14, if you would, just real quickly, and look at verse 28. Numbers 14 and verse 28, the Bible says, Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ear, so will I do to you. Verse 29, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number four, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. And we've dealt with that and talked about that and talked about the fact that God said, from 20 years old and up, you will not go into the land. You're going to die in the wilderness. However, we talked about it this morning. God did tell them that their children would enter the land. Look at verse 30, Numbers 14, verse 30. God speaking to the children of Israel. Doubtless, ye shall not come into the land. 
concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Verse 31, but your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. So God told the generation of the wilderness wanderings that you would not enter the land, but your children, your little ones, the next generation would enter the land. And then we get into Numbers 15, go back to Numbers 15 and verse 1, and the Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when ye become into the land. So the question is, who is God speaking to? And God is actually speaking to the next generation. He's speaking to the little children. He's speaking to the next generation because he's already told these people, you're not going to enter into the land. But it's interesting to me that then in chapter 15, he gives all, the instru- all these instructions of what they are to do when they enter into the land. And I want you to notice that though God was upset with the children of Israel in chapter 13, in chapter 14, in chapter 15, he begins afresh and anew with them. And he says, look, you've made mistakes and we can't go back and undo those, but there's still a future for the nation of Israel, and he begins to instruct them, and specifically the next generation, the children that will enter into the land, and he tells them when ye come into the land. And this is a theme in this chapter. Look at verse 18. Again, just by way of introduction, Numbers 15, verse 18. Speak unto the children of Israel. This is God speaking, of course, uh, to Moses. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when ye come into the land, whither I bring you. So I want you to notice that this chapter is giving instructions of what to do when you enter into the land. And the instructions are being given to a group of people that God has swore in His wrath that will not enter the land, but their children will enter the land, which is why God gives us Numbers chapter 15. So it's a chapter that's really given to the next generation, and it's instructions for the next generation And there's some things here that he's already given to the children of Israel, but there's things that God wants them to be ready for and understand as they enter in. Now, like I said, we're going to divide this into several sections. I've got five sections that we can divide this chapter, outline this chapter into, and five headings if you'd like to outline it and have it for your notes. Of course, I always encourage you to take notes. The first heading for the first section you can entitle Laws for Sacrifices. Laws for sacrifices, and what God does in the first 12 verses, and then also verses 17 through 21, is He gives these instructions regarding the sacrifices. Look at verse 2. He says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land of your habitation which I give unto you, and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice in performing a vow or in a free will offering, or in your solemn feast, to make a sweet savor unto the Lord of the herd uh, or of the flock. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through and break down these uh, sacrifices because we've already, I've already preached verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is like a manual for the Le- Levitical priest, and it, it goes through each one of these, and we've talked about it, uh, and, and, and we, we've done that. So you can, you can look that up uh, if you'd like uh, in the Leviticus series. I'm not going to take the time to do that now. I do want you to notice, though, that these vows that are being talked about here in verse number three are all, uh, you'll notice there it uses the term free will offering. All of these were voluntary offerings. There's some offerings that you uh, were had to give if you're part of the children of Israel, and then there were some offerings that were voluntary. You did it 
just out of your love for God or out of the abundance that God had blessed you. And he's talking to the children of Israel about these sacrifices that they're going to perform when they enter into the promised land, that they're going to be so prosperous and abounding, they're going to want to give these sacrifices. Look at verse 4. Then shall he that offer this offering unto the Lord bring a meat offering. And a meat offering, the word meat in our King James Bible, uh, actually is just another word for the word food, all right? So it's not the, 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 what we call meat in the Bible is called flesh. And this is, these meat offerings would be like a cake, like a, something that, uh, like a bread that they would uh, make for the Lord of a tenth deal of flour. Notice there, flour mingled with the fourth part of a hint of oil. Verse 5, and the fourth part of an hin of wine for a drink offering shalt thou prepare with the burnt offering or sacrifice for one lamb or for a ram. Thou shalt prepare for a meat offering two-tenth deals of flour mingled uh, uh, with the third part of an hin of oil. Verse 7, and for a drink offering thou shalt offer the third part of a hin of wine. And again, I'm not preaching on these sacrifices, but let me just say this. You'll notice that there's these drink offerings that are being mentioned here uh, that are given and the drink offerings go all the way back to Jacob. Jacob was actually the first person in the book of Genesis that offered a drink offering unto the Lord. And I just want to mention this again. It's not something I want to focus on tonight. But these drink offerings were to be poured out unto the Lord, and they were to be a hint of wine. And, of course, these are alluding to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they're alluding to the New Testament Lord's Supper where you would take the juice, the grape juice, and it would be poured out during the Lord's Supper. We take the bread and break it. That picture is the breaking of the body of Christ. And we take the wine, which is non-alcoholic juice. And again, I'm not preaching on that uh, tonight, but I've got other sermons to explain that. And that, that wine or that grape juice is poured symbolically showing the shedding of the blood of Christ. And that's what's happening here as well. With the burnt offering you were to give a drink offering that will be poured out and it is all symbolizing or shadowing the shedding of the blood of Christ because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Uh, look at verse 6. Or for a ram thou shalt prepare for a meat offering two tenth deals of flour mingled with uh, the third part of an hin of oil. And for a drink offering thou shalt offer the third part of a hin of wine for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And when thou preparest a bullock for a burnt offering and for a sacrifice of performing a vow or peace offerings unto the Lord. And by the way, let me just say this. The drink offerings can also be a picture of the pouring out of God's wrath, which all connects to the same thing because the wrath of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ when his blood was shed. Look at verse 9. Then shall he bring with a bullock a meat offering or three tenth deals of a flour mingled with oil for a hen oil. And thou shalt uh, bring for a drink offering half a hen of wine for an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Thus shall it be done for one bullock or for one ram or for a lamb or a kid. And notice that with these offerings, there's different levels. These are all burnt offerings. And a burnt offering, and again, I won't take the time to go into it, but the whole point of a burnt offering was that you gave this entire animal to the Lord, and then the whole thing was burnt and consumed unto the Lord. There were other offerings where pieces were cut off, and the Levites and the priests were allowed to eat, and even the congregation was allowed to eat from the different pieces that were cut off. But a burnt offering was wholly given to God. It was completely burnt unto the Lord. That not only pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, but it pictures us, because God wants you to be a burnt offering unto the Lord. He wants you to be wholly, completely given 
unto him. This is what Paul talks about in Romans when he says that we should offer ourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we see these uh, offerings, and there's different levels. A bullock is obviously much more expensive than a ram. That's more expensive than a lamb. That's more expensive than a kid. So there's these different levels for different people who wanted to give a sacrifice. Maybe they can't afford to give a whole bull, but they can give a lamb. So there's these uh, options for them. Verse 12, according to the number that you shall prepare, so shall you do to everyone according to their number. So we see these sacrifices. The section that deals with sacrifices is not only in verses 1 through 12, but it's also covered in verses 17 and 21. So I'd like you to see those verses. Look at verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land whither I bring you, notice that that is connecting these two thoughts. Verse 1, or excuse me, verse 2 says, When ye come into the land of your habitation, which I give unto you. And then we have these verses up until verse 12 about the sacrifices. Then verse 17, speak, and the Lord spake unto Moses, uh, unto Moses, saying, verse 18, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you come into the land, whither I bring you. And then we've got uh, uh, some more instructions regarding these sacrifices. Look at verse 19. Then it shall be that when ye eat of the bread of the land. Now this is important because God is preparing them because at this point they are not eating of the bread of the land. Because if you remember, while they are in the wilderness, and this was supposed to be a short-term thing, but it ends up being for 40 years that while they are in the wilderness, God is the one that's providing their food because manna is coming down from heaven every, uh, every day, every morning they go out and they gather the manna for them to eat for that day on the uh, day before the Sabbath, they, got, they gathered twice as much, and they did not go out on the Sabbath. But God says when they enter into the promised land, that they're going to eat of the bread of the land. And this speaks to the fact that there's maturity happening here. Here we have a congregation, but these people, we, if, if we could use them as an illustration, they just got saved, right? They just got out of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. Moses is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that on Wednesday night in our Hebrew studies, which I didn't really uh, work it out this way, but in Hebrews chapter 3, we're actually going to be talking about the same chapters we're talking about in the book of Numbers, which I did not plan, but the Holy Spirit did. And uh, so we're talking about Moses and the children of Israel in the day that they provoked God and refused to enter into the promised land. So I don't know. God just wants us talking about this, uh, I guess. But Moses pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a deliverer that goes into Egypt and brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, picturing salvation, has them cross the Red Sea, picturing baptism. But while they're in the wilderness, they're, they're, they're picturing these new Christians. They're in the wilderness. They're not conquering the land. They're just kind of stumbling by. They're new. And what are they doing? They're being fed. God is bringing manna down from heaven, and they're being fed at the hand of God. But when they cross the Jordan River, that pictures the Christian that is mature and the Christian that is living the victorious Christian life in the promised land, conquering the giants, taking the cities, getting victory in their life over sin. And a major difference between the Christian in the wilderness and the Christian in the promised land is the Christian in the wilderness is being fed. The Christian in the promised land is feeding themselves. 
And if you understand that the bread from heaven pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, but the bread from heaven also pictures the Word of God, because Jesus is the Word of God, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, a great way for you to test your own maturity is to ask yourself, when you are fed the Word of God, are you fed the Word of God because you show up to Verity Baptist Church and Pastor Jimenez makes it rain manna from heaven? Or do you open up your King James Bible on Monday morning and feed yourself? Now, nothing wrong with being uh, uh, fed bread, you know, manna from heaven. I'll do my best, and I spend as much time as I can studying and preparing for these sermons to feed you some well-balanced meals from the Word of God. But the mature Christian will not only be fed at church, they'll also open up the Bible and feed themselves. So he's telling them, he's looking forward to when they mature, and he's saying, verse 19, then it shall be that when ye eat of the bread of the land, he said, when you're over there, you're not being fed by man anymore, you're cultivating the land, you're bringing up grain, you're turning it into bread, you're eating the bread of the land, he says, ye shall offer and heave offering unto the Lord. And ye shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough for an heave offering. As ye do the heave offering of the threshing floor, so shall ye heave it, verse 21, of the first of your dough ye shall give unto the Lord. So at this point, they're not cultivating anything. They're not producing anything. They're just wandering in the wilderness, being fed by God through manna and having Moses lead them. But he says when you mature a little bit, in 40 years for them, and you enter the promised land, and you start feeding yourself, he says, when you start cultivating the ground and you start producing, you need to offer up a cake of the first of your dough, verse 20, of the first of your dough ye shall give unto the Lord, verse number 21. So here's the first application for the sacrifices. Nothing that I've said was application up to this point. All of that was just free uh, material for you, all right? Be mature, feed yourself. That's how you know you're growing. How do you know if a child is physically growing? Well, when they're a baby, they get fed. As they get older, they can feed themselves. If you are feeding yourself, congratulations. You're growing in the Lord. If you never open up the Bible and feed yourself, then you're a babe in Christ. And that's okay. If you're a baby, if you just got saved, no problem. But if you've been a baby for the last 20 years, that's a problem. We need to get you on the strong meat of the Word. Anyway, all of that is free, all right? Here's the application. When it comes to sacrifices, we should give of our substance and we should give as a priority. Because notice, when they're not making money, he doesn't expect them to really do anything. Up to this point, the sacrifices they have given, they have because they got them from Egypt when they left the land of Egypt. But God is telling the next generation that when you start beginning to produce, then you need to offer of the first of your dough. Of the first of your dough, ye shall give unto the Lord. And look, he's talking about literal physical dough, right? Like dough that you put in an oven and make bread. But here's the application for you. When you, New Testament Christian, start making some dough, of the first of your dough, you need to give unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we should give of our substance. Every good gift comes from above. Everything we have is given to us by God. And when God allows us, look, if God gives you the strength and the ability to go out and make some dough, 
then of the first of your dough ye shall give unto the Lord. And obviously there's a picture of tithing and honoring the Lord with our finances. Keep your uh, place there in Numbers 15. Go to Proverbs if you would, Proverbs chapter 3. Just if you open up your Bible, just right in the center, right uh, in the center, you're more than likely to find the book of Psalms, right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. If I can get one of these guys, if you can just turn the AC down one, just one degree, um, I would appreciate that. Proverbs chapter 3, I don't know if it's, I'm always hot, but I see things going like that. So Proverbs 3, look at verse 9, Psalms, Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Notice that we are supposed to give to God from our substance, from what he prospers us, and then we should give him first. God comes first. Look, pay God before you pay your rent or your mortgage or the government or anyone because in all things he should have the preeminence. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And notice what the Bible says. Here's the promise. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God says when we honor the Lord with our substance, then he honors us, and he makes sure that we're taken care of. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't, I, I don't make, I can't afford to tithe or to give. And my response is, you can't afford not to. Because if the Lord delight in us, that's been the theme. Because if God is with us, look, if God is with me, I'd rather live on the 90 and give him 10% than try to live on the 100 against God. Because God's going to get his 10%. And God can make sure that car breaks down or you have some medical bill or whatever. And I'm not saying if you have a medical bill that you guys not, you're not right with God. I'm not saying that. Maybe you're not. I don't know. I'm, I'm just not saying that, okay? I'm just saying, I don't know why we're talking about this. Tithe, okay? Just trust God and tithe. That's the application. Let's move on. Go to Numbers chapter 15. Look at verse 13. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 13. So the first section is a section on sacrifices, laws regarding sacrifices, and that's in verses 1 through 12, 17 through 21. I know some of you are writing commentaries in the book of Numbers, so I'm just making sure you get those numbers. Uh, outlines right, okay? Then the second section is a section regarding strangers, the law of strangers. We see this in verses 13 through 16. Notice what the Bible says. All that are born of the country shall do these things after this manner, an offering an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 14. And if a stranger... Now, please understand... The word stranger in your King James Bible is not the way we use stranger like, like stranger danger. Okay, that's not what the Bible is talking about. The word stranger just means foreign. So here it's talking about someone that is a foreigner. And the context makes that clear because in verse 13, he says, all that are born of the country, that would be uh, someone that's a native of that country. They're born there shall do these things after this manner, an offering an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if a stranger or a foreigner sojourn, what does that mean? It means they're living among you, sojourn with you, or whosoever be among you in all your generations, and will offer an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord, as ye do, so shall 
he do. That's the key words. As ye do, so he shall do. As the one that is born of the country does, so shall the stranger do as well. Look at verse 15. One ordinance shall be both for you and, uh, 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 of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourneth with you in ordinance forever in your generations as ye are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. What is God saying? Look at verse 16. One law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger that sojourneth with you. The Bible here and God is giving us laws for a stranger, laws for a foreigner, someone who's not born in the land. And what does God say in the Bible? And by the way, this is consistent throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. When God established a nation and gave laws for the nation, I could have you run all sorts of verses, I'm not going to do that. But he consistently said this throughout the Bible that there will be one law for the stranger as for the one born in the country. One law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger. Now, I know I'm about to piss some of you off for your Fox News Baptists, but let me let you know a little secret. God is not a Republican, and the devil for sure is a Democrat. I mean, that's without a doubt. But, but you know, the Bible teaches that there should be one law for all the people. And there should not be a law. You say, well, well, if someone lives in this country and they're sojourning among us, but they're whatever you want to classify them, an illegal immigrant, then they can't do certain things that I can do. Is that, do you think God is for that? Now, look, I realize people are like, I can't believe you would say that. All Christians are supposed to be Republican. Well, I'm not. Yeah, every Christian is supposed to just follow the Republican line. Well, the Republican line is, a, is wrong in a lot of places because God says that it's wicked to have one law for a certain group of people and one law for another group of people. And the whole, this whole, you know, foreign policy stuff is just a bunch, you know, it's a bunch of garbage because they, they make these, these, you know, these, uh, the, these crises up and you say, well, what, what does the Bible say? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says to let anybody, the Bible says anybody can go anywhere they want. And you say, well, if you're a president, what would you do? Well, you know, I just let anybody come who wants to come. But you say, well, but what about the terrorists? Okay, then, here's the thing. How about you just let them in and check them in as they're coming in and make sure they're not terrorists? But just let them in. Because the Bible says where there's more people, there's more power. And, and this whole, and look, I've already lost some of you, whatever. <laughs> Next year is an election year, and you're not going to like what I have to say. <laughs> there's a series, right at election year, there's a sermon coming called God's Not a Republican. And there's another sermon coming called The Devil is a Democrat. <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. But look, you and I need to let the Bible tell us. Amen. And look, I don't think we should be lighting a bunch of terrorists, and I don't think we should do that. But you know, what are they doing now? I mean, have you really thought about what they're doing now? They're letting them in, but they're making them cross barbed wire and pass all these. What's the point of that? Why are you making these people? You're letting them in, but you're just making them kill themselves in the process? 
Why don't you just let them in and just check them out and, and, you know, and if they're bad, if they've done bad things, and don't let them in. And if they're good and they're here to work and they're, and they're just trying to feed their family, then you know what? There should be one law for everyone. Amen. That's what the Bible says. And if you don't like it, then you don't like the Bible. Maybe you need to turn off Sean Hannity and start reading the King James Bible. Amen. And I know someone's going to say, oh, he's just a Venezuelan communist, whatever. <laughs> Read the Bible. That's what the Bible says. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, if you, you know, because whenever I preach a sermon called God's Not American, everybody's like, oh, he's a Venezuelan communist. <laughs> Hebrews 13. If you start at the book of Revelation and go backwards, you have the book of Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. You know, you'd, you'd solve a lot of problems. If you just, instead of making them cross through a bunch of barbed wire and rivers and having children die, and you're just going to, the, the nation is so weird because like, we're, we'll let you in as long as you survive this like treacherous, torturous uh, ordeal. As soon as you, you know, cross the, the, the barbed wire and if your children don't die, then we'll be right there to help you. How does that make any sense? I mean, have you really thought about that? Why don't you just let them in? And just, as they're coming in, give them a license, give them some ability to work, and if they're bad, send them back. Instead of pretending like we want to send them all back while we're letting them all in, and this is just a bunch of garbage. Hebrews 13, look at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Okay, so that, you didn't like the political application, let me give you a spiritual application, all right? You can turn on Fox News when you get home. Donald Trump can still be your hero. Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. Now, I want you to notice, in the Old Testament, God had this law, and it's consistent throughout the Bible, how to treat a stranger. And his main thing is this, don't have one law for people that are born in the land and another law for a stranger that sojourneth among you. Have the same law. What is he saying? He's saying treat them the same. Treat them equally. They're human beings. They're made in the image of God. He said, treat them all the same. Then in the New Testament, we have the same concept with a different application. Because in the New Testament, we don't have a nation and a congregation that is a nation. We have a congregation that is a church. So notice what he says in Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Now that's the context. The context is this, that we should allow for brotherly love. That there should be brotherly love amongst Christians. Let me tell you something. There ought to be brotherly love amongst Christians no matter what nation they're from. No matter what country they're from. If they're God's children, I like them. In fact, I like God's children from other countries more than I like heathen Americans from this country. Let brotherly love continue. And then he says this. That's not going over very well, so let me get off of that. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. See the word strangers there? And here's what God is saying. It's the same concept in the Old Testament as the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he says, treat everyone the same. In the New Testament, the application is the same. If there's a stranger, let brotherly love continue and be not forgetful to entertain strangers. What is he saying? He's saying in your life and in my life as Christians, we should treat everyone the same. We should not have this concept where it's like, oh, I treat my friends really well, 
But this person that I don't know, this stranger that's not part of my clique, this foreigner or this outsider or this new person, I'm going to treat them badly. The Bible says that God is against that. And in fact, God is so against it that he will even test you. Look at it. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know, the Bible says that God will send angels into your life that will look like strangers just to see how you treat them. Now, like, I am not telling you that you should feed homeless people. In fact, I'm telling you you should not feed homeless people because you should not enable people that are not working. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And a lot of homeless people are in that place because of addictions, and you shouldn't enable them. But I also don't think you should mistreat them. Because what if God just sends an angel that looks like they might be homeless just to see how you treat them, just to see what you say about them? And then you just fail that test, and then God's like, oh, okay, that's how you want to treat people? then that's how I'll treat you. Because you know what the Bible says? God says that God, the Bible says that God will treat us the way we treat others. You want, to forgi- you want forgiveness from God? You need to forgive others. You want mercy from God? You need to be merciful towards others. And if we treat people differently because they're an outsider or we don't know them that great, that's wrong and you're, you're not right with God. So the idea is this. We need to treat people the same. And look, this is mainly very important. I mean, it's important all the time but especially with young people. Because young people, and oftentimes in the teenage years, people will be insecure, and they'll be in their little groups, and their little cliques, and then some new kid will come around, or some kid that's not part of their group, or whatever, and then they mistreat them. That's wrong. And look, you kids need to learn that you need to just treat people with respect and kindly and not treat people uh, badly, not be a bully against uh, other children because what you will reap what you sow. And look, in life, all of us need to remember and always have some empathy. And you should always put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Next year, when we get into that new building, I'm going to preach a whole sermon series on emotional intelligence. I was actually supposed to preach it this, uh, this fall. We're supposed to be in it right now, but I decided to cancel it because we have so much going on. I'm just going to save it for next year. But in, part of emotional intelligence is having empathy, which means just putting yourself in the position of someone else. And look, if you just learn to ask yourself, what if that were me? What if I was the outsider? What if I was the new person? What if I was the person that was kind of not on the inside and there was just this group of people and they're being mean to me? How would I feel? And look, if you just think that way, it should soften your heart to be like, well, I wouldn't like that, so maybe I shouldn't treat other people like that. And if you can't empathize, you might be a psychopath. Because that's literally the characteristic of a psychopath is just no empathy. So we should treat people with respect. And look, we should not be respectful of persons. We should treat everybody the same, stranger or not. When it comes to a nation, he says, treat them all the same. Have the same laws for everybody. And when it comes to personal relationships, treat everybody the same. And look, please understand something. Not everyone has to be your best friend at Verity Baptist Church. Not everyone has to be your friend. Some people don't clash and they don't do well together. That's okay. I'm not friends with everybody in this church, all right? I mean, you know that. <laughs> 
But, but I'm, and I'm joking, of course. But, you know, what I'm saying is people get this idea like, oh, look, you don't have to be friends with everybody, but you need to be nice to everybody. You, have to not be, you need to not be mean to people. And look, if there's any place in the world that people should feel welcomed and accepted and loved and at least respected, it should be church. And again, I'm not talking about some wicked reprobate. Okay, because I preach these things and be like, what if a transvestite walk? Look, if, we're not going to let a transvestite walk in here, okay? Amen. I'm not talking about some wicked hater of God. I'm just talking about a normal person. They walk in. Maybe they look a little different than you. Maybe they have a different culture than you do. Maybe they have a different background than you do. They might be a stranger to you. Hey, treat them well. And, and treat them the same way you treat anyone else. Have one law for everybody. That's what the Bible says. And God cares about this so much that he does Q&A, not Q&A. Yeah, Q, quality assurance. He sends angels unawares. I mean, look, if God sends an angel down my path, I want to treat them well. I want that angel to go back and say, yeah, he, he was nice. Bless that guy. Help him out. You know, I don't, wanna, I don't want angels going back to heaven saying, he's a bully. Beat him up, God. <laughs> So we have laws on strangers. Now keep your place there in Hebrews because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it and go back to Numbers 15. So the first section is a section on sacrifices. The second section is a section on strangers. And I'll have to, I'll have to work on that before the elections begin. Try to, try to win you over. People ask, are you, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? I'm a Christian. I'm a Bible-believing Christian, in case you're... So who do you, how, how do you vote? Jesus. Make, make Jesus president. That'll solve every problem. The third section is a section on sin. We have the laws of sin. This is covered in verses 22 through 31. The laws of sin. And we have this section divided into two sections. There's the sin of ignorance... And then there's the sin of arrogance. The first section is a section on the sin of ignorance. And even this section is divided into a couple of subcategories. The first subcategory is congregationally. Now, notice there in Numbers 15, look at verse 22. And if ye have erred and not observed all these commandments, because remember, he's giving us all these commandments, and he's saying, if you erred, you erred, you made a mistake, and you did not observe these commandments, which the Lord has spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord hath commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day that the Lord commanded Moses and henceforward among your generations, verse 24, then it shall be, if aught be committed, notice, by ignorance, without knowledge of the congregation. So in this context, we're talking about a congregational sin where sin is being performed in the congregation, but it's by ignorance. And what we're learning about is the sin of ignorance. And the book of Leviticus talks a lot about this. I preached a whole sermon about it when we were in Leviticus. I'm not going to take the time to have you run to those verses, but let me just explain that the sin of ignorance covers two, two sections, two possibilities. One possibility is where someone, what the, what the word indicates, sin of ignorance, where they performed a sin and they didn't know it was a sin, they didn't know that that was a sin, then that is what the Bible would call a sin of ignorance. So, you know, for example, in the New, New Testament application, lots of people show up to a church like this, 
and maybe they have a tattoo. But you know, the Bible specifically forbids tattoos. The Bible says to not print things on your body. And that may be new to somebody, and they're like, I didn't know that. I didn't know the Bible said that. Well, that's a sin of ignorance, and God understands and acknowledges that maybe you did something that was wrong, but you didn't know it was wrong. That's a sin of ignorance. There's also another, and look, if you have tattoos, people... You have tattoos, like, I think, like, everyone in this church has tattoos. I think even my staff has matching tattoos. It's it's weird. So, you know, I'm not preaching against you, okay? But, I mean, I don't have a tattoo. My wife doesn't have a tattoo. But, um, anyway, it's a sin, okay? So don't do it. But maybe maybe you didn't know. Your nose is a sin. Okay, no problem. It's It's a sin of ignorance. Here's another application, though, for the sin of ignorance, is when you end up sinning, but you did not set out to sin. So, you know, something happened like in the heat of the moment, maybe something happened and you said something you shouldn't have said, you did something you shouldn't have done, but you didn't set out or premeditate to go do that. It just happened. Those are the things that fall under the sin of ignorance. Now, God doesn't excuse them, but he does give them their own category. Look at... um, Verse 23, even all that the Lord commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day that the Lord commanded Moses and henceforward among your generation, then it shall be, if aught be committed by ignorance without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord with his meat offering and his drink offering according to the manner and one kid of the goats for the sin offering and the priest offering shall make an atonement for all the congregation of the children of Israel and it shall be forgiven them for it is ignorance and they shall bring their offerings a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord and their sin offering before the Lord for their ignorance. Verse 26. And it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger that sojourneth among them, seeing all the people were in ignorance. So he's saying, look, and here he's talking about congregationally, if people perform a sin of ignorance, if a congregation performs a sin of ignorance, we're going to talk a little bit about that more in a minute, but let me give you the other example. The other example is a personal example. Look at verse 27. If any soul, because remember, first we talked about the congregation. Now we're talking about an individual. If any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for the uh, soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. He shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel, and to the stranger that sojourneth among them. So notice that there's this sin of ignorance. And let me just say this. It's interesting because God still holds you accountable even for a sin of ignorance. Even though they did something that they didn't know was wrong, or they did something they did not set out to do, they still have to bring a sacrifice and ask forgiveness. And look, what the Bible teaches is this, that unto whom much is given, much shall be required. And though there are always consequences for sinning, when you do sin out of ignorance, God has more leniency towards you. And He allows them to bring a sacrifice He allows them to be forgiven. If they said, look, I didn't know, or if they say, I I didn't intend to. I ended up doing that, but I did not set out to do that. I didn't premeditate to do that. I just, in the sin of the moment, I gave in to my flesh, and that's what happened. That is a sin of ignorance. Now, it can happen both congregationally, and it can happen personally. We saw that. Let me give you an example of this 
congregationally that happens to the children of Israel uh, 40 plus years later. You're there in Numbers 15. Go to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. You have Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 7. Remember when the children of Israel enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they conquer the, the city of Jericho, and they have this great victory. But then they have a massive defeat at the next city, the city of Ai. And I don't have time to go through the whole story. You can study it out on your own if you'd like. I've preached sermons on it. But I will say this, that the city of Ai was a small city, and the children of Israel decided not to send all of the army and all of the men to battle. They just sent a few because they thought they could easily overtake it. That was the first mistake. The second mistake is that, unbeknownst to them, there was sin in the camp. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about, the first fruits. When they entered the promised land, God told them that they were, once they conquered lands, that they could take of all of the merchandise and all the things that were in the land for themselves as a bounty or as a reward for uh, conquering these different cities. So as they conquered the cities, they could take the houses, they could take the horses, they could take the, the food, they could take the money, and it was as a reward for them for conquering that land. But they were not to take anything from the first city, from Jericho. You say, why is that? Because we honor the Lord with the substance and with the first fruits of all our increase. So the first was dedicated to God. They were not to take anything from Jericho. That all belonged to God, and then anything going forward, they could have for themselves. Again, picturing the fact that we pay God first. We give him the first fruits. We give him the first 10%. There was a man by the name of Achan who stole from Jericho, because Joshua told him, don't take anything from Jericho. But there was a man by the name of Achan who stole from Jericho, and I want you to notice how God says it. Look at Joshua 7 and verse 11. Because they have this defeat in Ai as a result of that. Joshua's on his knees praying. And then God speaks to Joshua, Joshua 7 and verse 11. And here's what he says. This is God speaking to Joshua. Israel. Now Israel is the name of a man, Jacob, who's renamed Israel, who had 12 sons, which had the 12 sons of Jacob, 12 sons of Israel that became the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel is a name of the entire nation, the congregation, the people of Israel. God says, Israel hath sinned. And I look at that and I think, well, did Israel sin or did Achan sin? But I want you to notice how God sees it. God does not see it as Achan's sin. God sees it as Israel's sin. Look at it, verse 11. Israel hath sinned, and he, is that what it says? No, it's plural. And they, the entire congregation, hath also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, notice plural, for they, plural, have taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their, notice these words, own, their own stuff, plural, as far as God is concerned, the whole congregation did it. Now look at verse 24. Joshua figures out who the person was. Verse 24, Joshua 7, 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, 
That's one person, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, all the things that he stole, plus his family, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor, verse 25. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble you this day, and all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. Now here's what's interesting. One man takes of the accursed thing, brings it into the camp, hides it under his tent, steals from God. One man, and God says, they did it. The congregation, Israel, they, them, they, there. He says, it's them. Because sometimes an entire congregation, now it was a sin of ignorance for the rest of the people. They didn't know it happened. But there was sin in the camp. And look, here's the application for you, is that your sin affects others. And oftentimes, one person's sin can bring judgment upon an entire congregation. And look, I'm thankful for the great things that are happening at Verity Baptist Church right now, and we, we are having a lot of momentum and things, good things are happening. We had 260 in church this morning. We have 207 people here tonight. We're making Sunday night great again. All right, for those of you, because I already attacked your Fox News stuff. And, but, but look, but one person's sin, one person could bring sin into the camp and just stop all of that. So, you know, you need to realize that your sin could affect others, and you're still accountable even if it's done through ignorance because the children of Israel still lost the battle of Ai because of Achan. God had to deal with Achan, and Joshua had to deal with Achan. Because you cannot allow sin in the camp. And the same is true within a church. You know, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Joshua can't allow sin in the camp. And we have to deal with it and we have to remove it because your sin could bring the whole congregation down. So we see that there's a sin of ignorance. We're not going to get through the whole chapter, all right? Well, well let me just finish this uh, sin of ignorance and sin of arrogance and then we'll be done. Look at, go back to Numbers 15, look at verse 30. So we saw the sin of ignorance, right? The sin of ignorance is I didn't know or I did not intend to. I didn't know it was a sin or I didn't set out to do it. It's just in the heat of the moment, I gave into the flesh. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have done, whatever. But I, I didn't, it wasn't premeditated. That's the sin of ignorance. Now, what's the lesson for that? The lesson, there's two things. God still holds you accountable for sin. There's still consequences for sin. But unto whom much is given, much shall be required. And to who less is given, God understands if you just didn't know, and he's going to be more lenient with you, and he's going to give you more grace and give you more help. That's the sin of ignorance. But then there's the sin of arrogance. Look at verse 30. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously. Presumptuous that word means showing little respect for others by doing things you have no right to do or overstepping a bound. So this is not a sin of ignorance. This is a sin of arrogance. This is someone who's presumptuously, look at verse 30, but the soul that doeth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, because remember, it's one law for everyone, the same reproacheth the Lord. The idea is this, when you and I decide, I know what the Bible says, and I don't care, 
I'm going to set out to do it. I'm going to premeditate it. I'm going to do it presumptuously. I'm just going to go get that tattoo or whatever. You know, I'm going to go do this or go do that. Even though you know better, God says that you are reproaching the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people, verse 31, because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment that the soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. Let me give you one verse and we'll finish up. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Go back to Hebrews if you would, Hebrews chapter 10. I'll cover the rest of this next week, verses 32 through the end of the chapter. It's interesting because in verse 32, we actually get back into a narrative about a guy that gets killed for not keeping the Sabbath day. So we'll cover that next time. Let's talk about the sin of ignorance. The sin of arrogance, excuse me. And I know we're looking a lot on Hebrews, but I guess I'm all into Hebrews right now. Hebrews 10, because remember, Hebrews is talking about the Old Testament. And in Hebrews 10, 26, here's what the Bible says. For if we sin willfully, that's the opposite of the sin of ignorance. That's not I didn't know or I didn't intend to. That's I knew and I didn't care. I knew and I just set out to do it anyway. I knew and I just premeditated, I planned it, I decided this is what I'm going to do. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Here's what he says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now sometimes people go crazy with this in Hebrews, but it's because they don't understand the context of the Old Testament, which we just saw. The context is this, if you sin by ignorance... If you sin, you didn't know or you didn't intend to, then there were sacrifices that were available for you to bring to the Lord. You could bring the sacrifices of the sin of ignorance and say, God, I didn't know, or God, I didn't intend to. I, you know, it just, it, 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 I didn't plan it. I didn't set out to do it. And, and you can give the sacrifice and God will forgive you. But if we sin willfully, God says there's no sacrifice. You're just going to deal with the consequences. And, 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 and here's the application for New Testament Christians. When you sin and you didn't set out to, or you sin and you didn't know, God will forgive you, and he might show mercy and, and not make you deal with the consequences. But when you and I decide to sin willfully, knowing good and well what the Bible says and just doing it anyway, God says there's no sacrifice for sin. Now, he'll forgive you but he's still going to cause you to reap those consequences. And he's still going to you know, lay the smackdown on you because you reproached him. So there's a difference between a sin of ignorance and a sin of arrogance. And obviously we're all sinners and we're all going to sin, but we should be careful to not have this arrogant, presumptuous, I know what the Bible says, I don't care anyway. Hey, you're going to be held to a higher standard according to the word of God. Because if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So we should be warned about that and understand that. We'll cover the rest of this chapter next week. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these uh, chapters in, in the Bible. And even these, these chapters regarding the laws, uh, oftentimes people would skip these or think that there's no value in learning from them. But there's so much uh, application and so many things for us to learn. Lord, I pray you'd help us to... Learn them and understand them, and Lord, help us to, to take heed to the lessons we've learned tonight, uh, that we should give God of the sacrifice, we should sacrifice to him 
of the blessings that he's given us and we should give to him first and that we should treat, treat strangers equally and the same as everyone else. We should have one law for everybody. And in our personal lives, we shouldn't treat some people one way and other people another way. We should treat people with kindness and love and respect. And then, of course, help us to learn about these uh, sins, the sin of ignorance and the sin of arrogance. When we have a sin of ignorance, help us to, to try to get it right quickly. And, and Lord, help us to be fearful and to not set out with, with a closed fist, raising our fists up to heaven with a sin of arrogance because there is no sacrifice at that point. Lord, we love you. Thank you for these warnings. Help us to heed them. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have uh, Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you, of course, we've got all sorts of clipboards in the back. We've got clipboards.